he stuck his hand out and he said, congratulations to the offensive coordinator at Boise State. Here's a first-time head coach hiring a 29-year-old offensive coordinator. And being as crazy as Chris is, we went after Justin Wilcox, 11 days older than me. So Justin became the defensive coordinator. And that staff he put together, I mean, Sean Cougar, who was a head coach, Jeff Choate, Pete Kukowski. You know, there's a lot of great, great coaches on there. Bird Wright, 18 premium diesel. Joe Montana, Buster Douglas, John Elway, John Elway. Daisy right, Soy, Blitz right, Travolta right, pumpkin left, alert, Charlotte left. Go on. Punch right, Zach. We'll go 15 tip scissors. Cannon to 300 jet F stick. Victory is a great play call. Coaches, welcome back to another episode of the Play Callers Club. We are fired up to be back with you again. We had a great little rundown of SEC football and NFL earlier this week, and we're really, really fortunate later this week to be on with uh, Coach Brian Harson. Coach Harson, uh, we ran into each other a little bit this offseason, got to talking, and um, just loved getting to pick his brain a little bit about his coaching journey and particularly, you know, being a play caller for for many, many years, being an offensive coordinator. Um, and all the success that he's had. And um, now that he's got a chance to kind of sit back and, and take a take a breather, we, we'd love to have an opportunity to get to chat with him a little bit and uh, glean some wisdom from him. So Coach Harson, welcome, man. We're really excited to have you on here. Yeah, thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. And uh, I enjoyed getting to meet you when we were at the Chargers. Uh, I right. was there to see Kellen Moore. All right, a guy I had the privilege of coaching and then to kind of follow his career now um, with him being a coach. And then uh, obviously following you too, like the stuff you put out is awesome. I mean it. You're the real deal. You guys, all of you guys, um, the material is great. And I, I think a lot of us, right, we're, we're kind of copycats. No doubt. You like to, or at least to get some ideas, right? You're sitting there yeah. and you, you're up at 11 o'clock at night. You just need something fresh, new. You might look on Instagram and, and see an idea that you guys put out there and it might just be that little nugget you needed to to bring it all together. So it's really awesome what you guys are doing. I'm excited to be here and do this. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Well, no, I appreciate you saying that. And I love getting to to chat a little bit and kind of get a behind the scenes look of kind of the way your brain works. I think uh, we we had some some similarities there with just like how we think about the game a little bit. And so I wanted to kind of kick us off um, to give a little bit of your backstory. Obviously played at Boise, coached at Boise. Um, what for you um, going from playing the quarterback position to then ultimately becoming a coach, um, what do you feel like most prepared you to eventually become a play caller, offensive coordinator at the next Sure. Level? Yeah, you know, I'll go back to high school, actually. Um, I thought one of the things uh, that I had in high school, so the guy that played right before me, you might know who he is, Jake Plummer. Oh, yeah. So I had to follow that guy, <laughs> right? That was Jake the Snake Plumber. I was Brian the Mongoose Harson, all right, just because he had to give me a name. Had to give you and, something. Yeah, so Tom Swindell was was our um, offensive coordinator, all right? Steve Vogel was the head coach. Um, and I got a chance to sit down, you know, in at lunchtime, and we would watch film. And so I understood coverages. I understood – you know, what we were trying to do to at least attack the defense. And I say that because when I showed up in college, I felt like I was ahead of some of the other players at that position. All right. Not just I mean, at the quarterback position, but some other guys as well, because of my experience in high school and just having a coach teach me the game. So I played since I was nine, always loved it. And I was a really uh, hefty kid. When I was young, so I played O-line for five years, but we won, and I thought football was fantastic. That springboarded me into the rest of my playing career. I walked on at Boise State, went through four head coaches. Pokey Oof. Allen was, um, was there at the time. He passed away. Tom Mason was the interim head coach. They let go of that staff. Houston Nutt came in, so he was there for eight months and then <laughs> took the, uh, the Arkansas job. And then Dirk Cutter came in. and. So my last two years, I had Dirk Cutter and Mark Helfrich was my quarterback wow. coach. And Mark Helfrich wow. was the, the head coach at Oregon. So that's really where um, I decided during that time like that I wanted to be a coach. But 
I got a chance to go through a lot of different styles of offense. I got to see the good and the bad. I got to be around some really good coaches. And they helped me all, all different ways, but all those different coaches in that quarterback room helped me develop um, as a player, but also just the, the idea of, you know, what we're trying to accomplish on the offensive side of the ball, like the why. And so when Dirk came in, you know, really towards my senior year, that's when I decided that I wanted to get into coaching. And so I paid close attention. I was a backup quarterback, so I got a, a lot of time on the sideline and got to sit there and, and, and hear the coaches and, and see what we were trying to accomplish with adjustments and, and the game planning and all those things. And I don't remember what game it was, but I had an idea my senior year and I drew a play up on the board. It was like a choice route by the tight end. And, and I remember, you know, Dirk came in. He was really heavily involved with the quarterbacks. Um, Mark ran the room, but Dirk was was going to come in there and grab the clicker and, and take over if he needed to um, to install certain things. And anyhow, that that play uh, was on the board, and he looked at it. And he said, "That'll work." And we practiced it. We put it in the game plan. We called it in the game. It didn't work. All right, but the whole <laughs> the whole idea. Uh, and I go back, that's execution. All right. Oh, um, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah, of course. It wasn't the play design, but <laughs> <I'd read. laughs> no, it was, it was, it was really just something that gave me a lot of confidence. And you know what? I feel like this is something, at least in my mind, um, that I can be good at. And you know what? I wasn't going to go on and play. So I thought, all right, I want to get into coaching. And so uh, I told the coaches that they were all excited. One coach stayed around and actually talked to me and it was Dan Hawkins. And Dan Hawkins was on that staff, and he set me down. He brought me in his office, set me down, and gave me about 45 minutes of why I shouldn't coach. There you go. And he's like, you'll make <laughs> no money. You're going to be away from your family. And he gave me all the, the reasons why not. And then he's like, go think about it. I came back a few days later. We sat down for another 45 minutes to an hour. And then he really started to plant the idea of you need to be a GA. So I tried that. I sent out 50 resumes, got nothing back. You guys know the story about, you know, some of those things that we go through. Oh, yeah. And then I came back to him. He said, be a part-time coach. And and that's where it started. So um, I went and did that at Eastern Oregon in the Grand. Okay. We ran the no huddle triple option. We were oh, not very it. good. Okay. It's, <laughs> we weren't very good at, at either one of them. Wow. Um, and then I came back and I was in Boise and Dan Hawkins got the job and I came back and, and decided I was going to volunteer for him. Uh, I was married, had a daughter. And so I came back as a volunteer, worked at UPS construction until a GA job opened up. I did that for a year and then the tight end job opened up and I was hired. I wasn't the first choice but it ended up working out. All right. And I was discouraged at first because they hired somebody else. But then three months later, I got my opportunity because it didn't work. And so just being available, right? Being there, not yep. getting to a point where you're going to quit and give up, uh, allowed me to have an opportunity as a 24-year-old coach to become a Division One football coach and coaching tight ends. And Chris Peterson was the offensive coordinator. All right. And this staff was phenomenal. And I got a chance to work for Pete as a GA, to work for him as a tight ends coach. And I would say from Dirk, and you can go back this up to really from Jeff Tedford and Dirk Cutter, Mark Helfrich, Chris Peterson, Dan Hawkins. All right. A lot of those um, philosophies that I've used have come from those coaches. And I just watched Chris. I mean, to me, it was like, look, I'm a tight ends coach and I want to be a coordinator. So what I realized at a young age, if you want to be in a position that someone else is in, watch what they do. Yep. And, you know, I was good at just shutting up and listening and, and paying close attention to, to what the coaches do that I wanted to be in their position. And Chris was phenomenal to me. He was, um, he was very, in a positive way, very demanding, right? We had very high standards. And, and Dan had very high standards. And, and I think this, too, is, you know, for some of you young coaches out there, like, that's not a bad thing. I mean, there, there's a lot of positives to being broken in a certain way. Yeah. Okay. Where Robert Prince, who's the wide receiver coach at, at, at the Dallas Cowboys, right, when you don't staple his sheet just right and he yells out, BYOGA, bring your own GA. And it just, 
<laughs> kills you, right? But he was setting a standard. And I just had a lot of coaches like that that I worked with that set a standard of excellence every day. And as a GA and as a tight ends coach, you were trying to live up to that standard, uh, which ultimately um, towards the end of my before I became the coordinator at Boise State, Chris Peterson allowed me to do the install mm-hmm. for fall camp. And I don't know if you guys how, how we used to do it. We had a big whiteboard and we would just put the days down. It was like the shifts and motions, the plays, the screens. And there's this formula like you don't want too many screens back to back you can't have a too many play actions it's like two play actions four drop back passes three runs one sweep but you can't do a sweep and a screen the same day because you only have so many reps right and it took me like seven straight days of staring at that board alone trying to figure out the perfect formula and that's where i learned install that's where i learned the art of installing the art of how many reps you're going to get in a practice and where your walkthroughs are going to take place and how you're truly going to put that number of plays in in an install of 50 minutes with your players and how many clips you truly need and what those clips need to be. And so uh, when Chris became the head coach, um, Dan went to Colorado and Colorado is my dream school coming out of high school. Okay. Never had an offer from him, obviously, but like that's where I wanted to go. And so I had a chance to go be the wide receiver coach and pass game coordinator at Colorado. And I wanted to be the offensive coordinator at Boise State. But, you know, Chris was trying to figure it out. And I remember before I walked in his office to tell him, he stuck his hand out and he said, Congratulations to the offensive coordinator at Boise State. And wow. it's my hometown, right? And I mean, that was a dream come true. And so 29 years old, uh, here's a first-time head coach hiring a 29-year-old offensive coordinator. And being as crazy as Chris is, we went after Justin Wilcox, all right, who's um, I think 11 days younger than me or 11 days older than me. And so Justin became the defensive coordinator. And that staff he put together, I mean, Sean Cougar, who was a head coach, Jeff Choate, Pete Kukowski. Um, wow. You know, there's a lot of great, great coaches on there. And so, you know, from that point, I I was surrounded by phenomenal coaches. And that's one thing Chris did. And I think the best coach I've ever worked with was Sean Kugler. Um, And, you know, was the offensive line coach at Arizona. Both his sons are coaching. Uh, And I remember he came from the Buffalo Bills had let him go. And he came and interviewed for us. And he gets on the board and he starts putting things up there. And this pattern of how to do six-man slide protection, bubbles, double bubbles, three-man, four-man, all these different ways of doing it, sin sync, all these other terms. And I remember watching him, and I leaned over to Pete, and I'm like, no way we're getting this guy. (laughs) Right? So they go to dinner the next day. We hired him, and he he was a guy that that I leaned on tremendously because – um, I was an offensive line GA, and that was the best thing that ever happened to me because I thought I knew football until I worked with the O-line. Man, I'll tell you You know what. the pass game. You know all that. Until you work <laughs> with the O-line, you do not understand offensive football, period. Amen to that. Amen to that. Agreed. And Agreed. so Sean was a huge, huge resource for me to just lean on him with the run game, protections. And, and honestly, in games, when I needed someone – he had no problem getting on the mic and yelling whatever he wanted me to call in a game. And, you know, that first season, you guys know about that, right? We went undefeated and right. you know, kind of the rest is history. So uh, we all thought football was easy, all right, <laughs> when uh, after you go through that year. But um, so that was, you know, that was really the I, – I go back to the coaches I was surrounded by. I just had phenomenal people I was coached by. And I had phenomenal people that I learned from. And I, I knew football. Uh, I think I've always kind of had that gift of kind of seeing and understanding the game. Uh, but they gave me confidence. Mm. All right. They, they allowed me to give them some thoughts and ideas. And I, 
some were right, most were right, some were wrong, but they allowed me that opportunity and they coached me and they helped me and they developed me. And so, you know, that was a big part of, you know, why I felt like we had success at Boise State because that's how we treated each other. You know, we were we were truly in a developmental program, not just for our players, but for our coaches. Wow, yeah. And and it starts with Dan Hawkins. Um and my son right now, so Cody Hawkins, who's the head coach at, at Idaho State. That's right. Who I recruited and went to Colorado with his dad. Hard to pull somebody away from their father. <laughs> All right. So I understand. But uh my son, who's a senior at Eagle High School here in town, is committed to play at Idaho State for Cody Hawkins. Love that. And awesome. you know, I watched Cody run the room. I'm I'm super impressed. It's so phenomenal. I mean, t- it kind of ages, you know, shows up my age and um but man, it's uh I couldn't be more proud, you know, to have someone like him be able to coach my son and and just to know that the experience I had with his dad the other coaches I got a chance to be a part of, how Dan really kickstarted that program and got things going, um, led to a lot of success that we had. That's really cool. Yeah, so I want to I want to take a, a second to kind of zoom in a little bit on specifically the offense that you guys ran at Boise, because you know I, I think for the the casual fan, they're going to remember the Statue of Liberty and the you know the hook and ladder and all all the fun stuff, right? And I would say again for you know growing up in that era too like I, I think I was in high school at that time it's like I wanted to watch every time Boise was on TV I was watching right and so it really was seen as a place for a, really a hub of offensive innovation but I, it doesn't necessarily seem like you came out of that saying like well I'm an air raid guy I'm a pro style guy I'm this and that like how did you guys come, like settle on a system of what you were going to do. I'm, I'm I'm so intrigued by that. Yeah. Uh, there's a, I don't know if this is a UPS or FedEx commercial, but have you ever seen where the guy's sitting there and he's got all these strings going around to these different routes and all that. And he's just like <laughs> yeah, staring yeah. at it and he goes, the matrix isn't perfect. <laughs> and so we called our offense, the matrix, right? It, Cause it wasn't it. perfect. And I say that because Let's go back when I was the tight ends coach and Peterson was the offensive coordinator. The Rams, the greatest show on turf. Okay. They were shifting and motioning and oh, yeah. they were in bunch sets and all that. Well, Chris and I were in the team room and we were actually going through the shifts and motions and naming them. All right. What's a single shift? Shift. What's what's a combination shift? Shop, right? What's a show shift? Okay, tag, whatever. We came up with all these ways to shift in motion. We're gonna take this tight end or this fullback we have, we're gonna move him from the fullback to the tight end position, back and forth. Okay, what do we call that? And we just started coming up with this system of shifts and motions. And because that was one thing people were always like, how do you get all this stuff done? Well, it started there, and then we simplified it. All right, that's what we had to do, right? I mean, simplifying is the ultimate sophistication, right? You got to make mm. it simple for your players. And but we had these themes. Okay, this is this is what we wanted to accomplish on the offensive side. We wanted to be a downhill physical run game. We had to have a downhill physical run game. All right, so our physicality, which was part of our team theme, we wanted to have an explosive passing attack. Okay, so if we can run the rock, we can take shots, right? That's simple. Okay, play us in quarters, watch out. All right, that was the theory behind it. Take advantage of the safeties. Okay, we had to eliminate turnovers. So we talked a lot about ball security. That was a huge thing in our program. All right, everybody does that. They They say it's all about the ball. Okay, we talked about creativity. So how do we create defensive confusion and uncertainty? And that was the creativity part, along with some of the things that we were doing, shift in motion, you know, um, putting the tail back in different alignments, the deep alignment, pistol alignment. Uh, we didn't call it pistol. We called it Q because we played Nevada, so we never wanted to call it anything they had <laughs> of course. at the time. Um, <laughs> give many credit whatsoever. But uh, And then elite QB play. Right, We had great quarterbacks. And so elite QB play was huge for us. So, you know, that was where it started. And every single week we were game planning. And, and this is something now that 
You see it in the NFL. Uh, I do think teams in college do it. The time is so just with recruiting and, and all the things that these coaches have to do, you know, these meetings, they're the most important thing you got with your players, right? Or your meetings. Every time you walk in there, you're selling this million dollar idea mm. and it could be inside zone again. But for that game plan, I mean, you got to sell when you're in there. They got to believe when they come out of there that this is the best thing we're going to do in this game because they're going to go out there and lay it on the line and put the effort in there. So, um, but we game planned and, you know, we kind of had this, we called it the ready list and this ready list was put together through the week. So it started off uh, our Tuesday practice. That was like 75% of our game plan. It was going to be our rundown calls, which is first and 10, second and six or less. Our second and longs, which was seven plus and 11 plus our third downs, two to five, four to six, um, seven to 10, and then 11 plus. That was going to be your, your shots and screens on those days. You know, and then some of our trick plays, right? You're going to have, you know, some of the things you probably didn't fall camp that were your trick plays or something you stole, right? Because Dan Casey put it out there and we found <laughs> it. So we were going to steal it and put it in. Um, and that's how we did that. And then third downs on Wednesday. You know, we, we really had everything in third downs, red zone, goal line, short yards. It was all in by Wednesday. And on Wednesday night, that's when we cut. So this ready list, these are the plays that are ready, right? These are the ones that are, we have to be ready for that day. So they got a list on Tuesday. They got a list that was added to on Wednesday. And they got a cut down list on Thursday. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Right? And so we, and we redid. We went through every play on Thursday. And so we averaged about 70 plays in a game plan because we would get about 275 reps in practice. So that was about four plays per play. Now, if they were banked plays, you know, from the previous game, maybe we get two reps on them, but we tried to get four reps. And, and I did a study one year after the 2000, 2007 season where we had picks from our quarterback. Cause we only practiced those plays twice that week in practice, right? The ones we had turnovers oh, wow. on is only because we only got two reps in practice. And so I was big on like this four rep idea. Like you got to get four reps. You got to give the quarterbacks a chance to see all the looks. All right. Or to hit it again against the look that you think it's going to work against. Um, because if you under practice it, it's going to show up in the game. And it did. All right. And that was my fault. You know, that was just not repping it enough. So I was very strict on the number of plays that we would keep versus the reps that we got that week. And I'm talking like real practice reps, not like walkthrough reps and all that. We didn't count that. It was real practice reps. So, you know, that's how we game planned. And then Friday we had, you know, our openers. We went through all of our game ending. Uh, we had our walkthroughs now on, you know, anything we had to touch up on. Saturday morning we would do the same things, openers, red zone, touch up on a few things, and then go play. Yeah, And, and the one thing I always felt – that we did a really good job of with, with Dan and Chris is the hay was never in the barn. Like we never said the hay mm. was in the barn, right? <laughs> we were yeah. always preparing up until game time and, and not to stress the players out, but just to make sure that we, you know, we had ourselves in a, in a position where everybody felt comfortable with what their assignments were and the details. So something we kind of talk a lot about on here is the the coordinator and quarterback relationship and not only that it's probably the most important relationship in football but probably in most of sports. So did y'all when you, when you going back to your cut down list a little bit is that something I know you talked about like the interceptions is that something that y'all included the quarterbacks on a little bit like hey what you know is there anything y'all didn't like is there anything you know you you like more than others or is that strictly a coaching thing? Yeah, we did. Uh, great question. And I think this is extremely important. So we were, uh, we practiced on, we came back and recovered and did our, our lift and recovery run. And then any correct and review on Sundays is what we did. And then Mondays were our day off. Well, Sunday night, we would watch a game as a staff. And then we'd break off and maybe watch another half of a game or get into cut-ups at that time. And then Monday was really game planning. And 
I was, I, you know, I used to be, when I first started, I was really into cut-ups. I would just watch cut-ups of all the formations, see what I like, see what they're doing. And then as we started to go, as we got into a couple of years, two, three years of being together as a staff, Brent Pease was our wide receiver coach. And, you know, he and I were always together, bouncing ideas off. And what we started doing, we started watching games. And we started to get a feel for the coordinator and, and what he was calling and how the flow of the game went. And because we kind of knew what we wanted to do. We were already going to do certain things. We just had to verify it. So instead of trying to find what we thought would work, we already decided we're going to do these things. Let's just go verify it, make sure that it's going to work, make it work, whatever we decided, and then keep building off our plan from how the season's going. So that night, we would have this ready list, not all of it, but we would have, I would say, those that 75%, you know, that was going to go in on Tuesday, we probably had about 95% of it done. And it was up on the board. And the quarterbacks would come in about 7.30, 8 o'clock. And that was my time. The staff now could just go do whatever they needed to do. And I could just sit there and they could just look at the board. And sometimes, you know, you're just sitting there, right? I mean, you know, when guys are communicating, they're kind of side by side, right? That's how we communicate as guys, right? We just sit beside each other and just stare at something and grunt a little bit and nod. And <laughs> so I would just, I would kind of just get a feel and I would talk about things that might be new. And Kellen was a great example of this. So when we would sit down, he'd be like, oh, yeah, I saw that. I saw that. I like that. If I didn't have something up there, he'd start drawing some things up. I'd say, what do you have? And he'd draw a few ideas up there. And then when you get to something where it was like, well, what's that? And you just kind of get a feel for like, he doesn't, he's not feeling that. Okay. And that was early in his career as a player. And I'd be like, that's out. I just wipe it out right there. Yeah. Later on, he would kind of come in there and go, and, I, and he's like, I go to wipe it. He's like, no, 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 just leave it. If you think it's good, let's just leave it. I'll figure it out. And then it got to a point where he started to work on some of the ideas I had. All right. And never were we ever going to have something in the game plan. And look, I coached the quarterbacks. I told those guys all the time, look, you're going to have more information than anybody else on the team. I'm going to tell you things that we're going to do before anybody else knows it. Tried to build this trust with them and flat out, like, if you guys aren't feeling something, you have to tell me. Yeah. And that was with every guy I coached and, um, and they did. And so we would, we would get to the end of the week and if they're not feeling it, it was out. Um, and so we, that's where we cut and you kind of knew in practice whether they liked it or not, or how mm -hmm. guys were executing, um, and so they were very much involved. And then Wednesday nights or Thursday morning kind of depended, but they would come in, the starting quarterback would come in, he would rank the pass plays in order of how he liked them. Oh, that's we, cool. We carried about seven rundown passes, right? And so he would rank those. He, we carried eight shots, two per quarter. He would rank those. And then we had our third downs. He put them in order the way he liked them and so on and so forth. He didn't really mess with the run game necessarily. We had that. But, you know, we let him kind of rank it. So when you get into a third and four, the first third and four was going to be, you know, whatever, smash, you know, whatever he wanted, and that was going to be the first call. So at least it wasn't just your openers, right, your, your dirty dozen that you <laughs> open up with. He's like, look, because the third play is going to be the third down, right? It could be the third down that you're going into. He's like, all right, it's third and four. I know what we're going to run. We're gonna we're gonna run smash, and he's ready for it. And then bang, you jump right back onto your openers, and away you go. So uh, those guys, yeah, those guys, I, I think were the reasons why too we we had a successful game plan because they were included. Wow, that's awesome! That's huge. So you spoke you spoke about having a explosive passing game as an offensive identity. What passing concepts do you enjoy the most, and why? Four verticals. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's yeah. Go. I, well, okay. So, all right. There's another one, and it's really great against quarters, but different variations of flood, right? So, a deep post with a corner route and some type of flat control. Yeah. All right. And you can bring it from across the field. I mean, there's all different ways to do this. That was like the number one shot play that we were going to have in. 
but four verticals, right? That and again, let's go back. Even even you know when I was a coordinator, even our RPO stuff like was really vertical, or, or uh, we didn't call it RPOs, but um, we called them like MTPs, right? Manage the perimeters, and so we had like vertical mm-hmm. throws yeah. if they were just gifts. So the whole idea just getting vertical, and. One would be the flood concept, the deep post, the corner, and some type of flat control, and you can do it a lot of different ways, and then four verticals. And switching those, bringing a guy on the under, um, but, but starting with trying to push the ball down the field, right? And then let your run game and your little gifts and easy throws kind of be your dink and dunks that you have in your quick game. You know, you can kind of build those in in your run game and – this is always going to be with your old line coach, right? Because the run probably was going to be good and the pass was good, right? right. And the run could have been better. And, right. you know, so now you're over there like, don't throw it. And he throws it. And you're like, all right, well, <laughs> yeah, the guy's getting greedy. But, um, yeah, different variations of deep post, some type of corner or shoot route coming across the field and some type of flat control um, were my favorite shots that we took. And and then we got into when we had John Hightower, and you see this in the NFL, right? Because you can't really run that concept versus one high. So then right. we got into yeah. a concept where now instead of a deep post, he was going deep high corner with another corner behind it and another flat control. And we started throwing that. And so it was like, look, we want to roll, we want to throw this versus one high or quarters. We got these two concepts to do it. And a deep post is easier to throw than a deep, deep corner, but it still gives you a chance to take the shot. Yeah. And so, you know, that's how we were going to build it. And a lot of our, you know, a lot of those shot plays too, they were, you know, from that concept, but then there were also plays that we, we saw, right. We saw other teams run. You see some type of trick play or shot play that was all going to be um, in that category. But you want to push the ball down the field. So those are two that we started with. And then I think one area that we could have done more that I thought was really good for us. And if you go back and watch the Fiesta Bowl in 2007, we ran a little comeback and go with Dries mm-hmm. and James. Yep. And, and we just, you know, he was phenomenal at it. That's why we did it. That was the first touchdown of the game. And, you know, I think the double moves, if you can get really good at that, that's an area. And every wide receiver wants to run a double move, right? Like, oh, yeah. like I got him. He's like, he's playing 18 <laughs> yards off you. You don't have anything. Um, They're always open. It, always open. It always is. But <laughs> to, to, to their credit, I mean, don't let guys sit on me. Yeah. If you're a receiver, like, don't let guys sit on me. Like, have something for me that you know, I can um, at least get this guy off. And so, you know, we did some more double moves when we had Titus Young and Austin Pettis. Um, at Boise during that time, since we're talking about those guys in particular. But um, as we evolved and started to do some more things, we came up with some more kind of inside double moves off of safeties where we're going to go to the go to the post and then take it vertical, right? And Thomas Spurbeck was phenomenal at this for us at Boise. And, you know, he'd be the inside receiver in a two-by-two. We run a little play action with a guard pulling. Backers would bite. He'd go to run that like kind of RPO deeper yeah, yeah. Uh, post, safety bite, vertical go. You know, so we we started finding other ways to take shots on safeties because the corners are so good. It's like some of these corners, it's like, let's not even mess with those dudes. And let's just try to go take some shots on these safeties and see if we can't win there. And so we started to evolve into that. And that's where, you know, some of the things you see now. I see teams taking advantage of you know who's do they think is the weak link um the the downhill physical guy that may not cover well how do we take advantage of that and you see that happening more and more and you know you just see some some really creative explosive plays being had now by some teams absolutely uh no i love that we we definitely try and try and build in some of that i definitely took some ideas from uh, our time in LA and took some notes and, and we we've used a few of those plays so far this year. It's been, it's been fun to see that pay off for us, but I wanted to take you real quick through two scenarios that you faced in your career. Um, obviously you're the play crawler at Boise and then you go to the university of Texas as a co-offensive coordinator. 
And then the other, uh, you can answer this later, but the other one was then going to Arkansas State as the head coach. Did you maintain play calling duties there? Like, how did each of those transitions work for you as a play caller compared to maybe your time in Boise? Sure. Yeah. So, um, so when I went to Texas, all right, you want, you want to start with that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Texas is okay. great. We're from yeah, Texas, so, so we're good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and hook them. There all you right. go. Uh, well, first of all, <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, man. Um, I, I like to see what they're doing right now. It's no uh, yeah. In my household, uh, there's a lot of cheering going on there for there Texas, and uh, we're excited for them. But um, Mac was awesome. The reason I went there, Mac Brown, phenomenal, helped me get my head job at Arkansas State, like he said he would. Um, you know, I owe so much to that guy, and and so. I follow his career and love him. He's the best human being I've ever been around and treats people better than I've ever seen anyone treat somebody Amazing. and remembers who they are, their names and phenomenal. So when I went there, um, I didn't really, you know, I, I, I kind of interviewed, we talked a little bit of ball, me and major, but you know, really the work and Max said this too, like your work's been on tape for a while. So, uh, and I wanted to be a part of that and, uh, working with major was awesome. And, and we had a, you know, a, a new young staff and that probably was the hardest thing. Cause you know, we were all successful. Um, you know, we're all in a big time job and, you know, we're all kind of feeling ourselves a little bit and it took some time to, to kind of gel and, you know, look, Manny Diaz. I mean, there's a lot of great coaches, Bo Davis, there's a lot of great coaches on that no staff and just, um, we had to come together and, and Mac, you know, that was really on us. You know, it was, it was on the staff to do that. Mac was doing everything in his part. We had to figure it out. So uh, as far as what we did there, we did a lot of stuff we did to Boise. So we changed the terminology that they had used and Greg Davis, who was there was really successful. I mean, they went to national championships. I watched, I had, I had tremendous respect for him and that entire staff because they'd been to national championships and, um, and it was Texas. I mean, they had great players and, and did a fantastic job as a staff. You know, things just change, unfortunately. So we were there. We installed what you know our offense, um, and and we were still huddling. But it was really what we did at Boise. But it was new, right? I mean, you got to go back. Like what we did at Boise and the things that we were doing. That's what those players, when they first stepped on campus, whether it was an unofficial, official, it didn't matter. Like. That was what we were doing. There was an identity, period, end of story. Like either you're going to be a part of this or you're not. When I went to Texas, we changed almost everything. Okay, so brand new terminology, uh, different way of practicing. Almost everything changed. And, and a lot of it had to come from Boise State. And, and I was the only one there that really knew it. So trying to work through everybody and, and bring that the best way I could, you know, that was a challenge in itself along with trying to install the offense. And then when I got there, we only had like two weeks until spring ball started. I never, we started in Man. February, whatever it was. Right. And I asked Mac, I'm like, <laughs> you know, this is me walking in and being like, Hey, can we push this back? He's like, no. <laughs> uh, I was like, Oh, okay. Well, we're going to have to figure this out. So here we go. Um, so here we go. Right. And, and I'll say this, like the guys, the players there, they responded. They did. They were ready to go. Um, we, I was, I was um, teaching the staff, and we were installing some of those things like that day. Okay, so the details weren't quite up to par from what I'd been used to, but I knew we were working through it, right? And that we get through those 15 practices, we'll get into uh, spring or, or into the summer, we'll fine-tune We'll detail and we'll come back in fall camp and be better. And that's exactly what we did. And the staff and everybody were phenomenal about doing those things. So uh, as far as play calling, um, you know, the, the difference is you just you didn't have all those experiences with the, with that staff like you did with the previous staff. Right. If we right. sat there and yeah. we're going like, hey, let's go back to 2004. You remember that play we ran in 2000? <laughs> yeah, I remember that play. Pull that one totally, out. Totally, totally. You, you, you had all these guys you'd been with for so long. Like, remember that? Remember that? So when I would be sitting there and I would bring up, oh, we did this and we called it paint. 
Well, there's a story behind why we called it paint, right? It could have literally been, we walked in the office that day. They had just freshly painted our doors and we we're like, yeah, let's call it paint. You guys remember it because it stinks in here and that's all they're going to think about today. So let's call this inside zone paint. And you know, that the explanation of some of those things, as you know, as coaches, when you have a new staff, they're like, why was that? And you're like, it's not even worth it. Yeah. All yeah, right. Yeah. Let's just, let's just figure a name out and call it whatever. And, and even for some of those coaches too, like they had great experiences where they came from and they would try to explain that. So we, we had to really work on our communication and just deciding, let's go back to who we are, downhill physical run game, right? Explosive passing attack, eliminate explosive play or eliminate turnovers. All right. The creativity piece and then the elite QB play, right? That had to be the theme. So let's just stick to that. And it kind of became that 80, 20, right? Like guys, 80%, this, we, this is who we are. 20, we can come up with some thoughts and ideas, but let's really stick to this 80 right here and just make sure this is what we're doing. This is who we are. Let's do what we do. And then 20, you know, we'll figure out some new ideas and, and not try to complicate this. But um, so that was really, I mean, one of my best learning experiences of, of really trying to be a better communicator and then and then leading through things that you know sometimes you want everybody to know they don't know they've never experienced it they've never heard it they've never seen it they don't know why you did it and you've been using it for five six seven years and understanding that like the communication piece if done right that's an advantage okay so communication equals advantage when it's done properly and that really forced me to have to be a better communicator and and our coaches too and look they stepped up as well i thought major uh, was really good about helping me um, and and trying to make sure that we were, you know, giving our guys the best opportunity to go out there and be successful. So, um, and we did some good things there. You know, one of the plays, you know, some of the trick plays, we all talk about what happened at Boise State. One of my favorite plays that I've ever run in the game was against Iowa State, and it was the week that Daryl K. Royal passed away. I remember this. And and Matt came out and said, we're going to line up on the first play in the wishbone. And I think it was on a Tuesday he told everybody that. <clears throat> well, on Wednesday I had the play, and it was a double pass. All right? It was a pitch back to Shipley. Shipley throw it back to David Ash. David Ash throw it down the field to the tight end. And I remember Mac, he goes, so what do you got? And I go, it's right here. And he watches that, and he's like, that's it? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, we're going to run that? <laughs> so I don't think that's what he expected. I'm like, yeah, it'll work. It's classic. And he, I could tell in his face he's like, no freaking way, right? <laughs> and so we get to the game, and, and he's just like, oh, I don't know. And he goes, look, if, if we get backed up, let's just call timeout, and you know, we'll line up in the formation. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Well, we end up on the five-yard line. Mm -hmm. yep, yep. we're backed up and I'm like let's do it and he's like alright and so we end up throwing the ball backwards in our own end zone David Ash throws oh, it out man. and our tight end catches it it's a 50 yard gain everybody goes nuts and I'm so nervous that this play is not going to work because of the whole you know just expectations everybody in the country is watching and we hit it you guys know at Texas right in oh, the booth man. there at the big glass I throw my headset off. I'm up there cheering with the crowd. <laughs> Boom! Right? Big time play. Everybody in the box is cheering. We're high-fiving. And I can hear on my headset, Brian, Brian. And I got to call the next play. And I get on there. And I'm like, call timeout. Call timeout. And so now we end up calling timeout. And I'm like, perfect. We got the best of both. We got the play. We got to call timeout. And you got the timeout. All right. We got to honor Coach Royal. It was uh, it awesome. was awesome, and we won that's the game. So, cool. so that is so cool. That is that is one of the that's one of the the greatest moments for me as a coach because how meaningful that was, right? And knowing it was going to come, not that that play was going to come, but just how meaningful that was for for Texas. And I know yeah. how much it was yeah. for Mac and and everybody that knew Coach Royal. So. Um, you know, that was fun. I mean, we, we were allowed to do those things. And, and, uh, when Arkansas state came, we were playing in the bowl game against Oregon state and they had reached out. I told Mac, 
and said they wanted to come interview me. And so we met at a little private airport, went in there and, and uh, I interviewed. Uh, I actually just talked about this last night. I, I, I spoke at an event last night, this leadership summit. Um, and it's where I was today. It was phenomenal. Uh, and I spoke on this, you know, my interview and, and what I went in there with. I went in there with one sheet. And it was just one sheet of what I believed and what I knew, right? Not a whole book uh, of how to run a program and all that, because I never run a program. I just went in there with one sheet that just said, this is who we're going to be, and this is how we're going to do it, and here's the things that I believe. Um, walked out of there, had no idea how it went. You know, four hours later, I got a call, got offered um, the job. And, and um, before that happened, Mac had asked me, no, do you want this? And I said, yes. And he's like, let's go get it, boy. <laughs> and, uh, and he, he was, you know, he was just there to, to support me, help me and, and, uh, and give me a chance at an opportunity like that. So when I went to Arkansas state, um, never had been there sight unseen, flew in the day of my press conference and <laughs> drove around a little bit. It's the first time I've been in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and then did my interview, walked in my office. They changed my shirt, put the zip up on, took pictures and then the ADs like the staff is in there waiting. You want to talk to him? And I said, Nope. And he's like, well, they're in there waiting for you. And you know, they were playing in the go daddy bowl, which is like the latest bowl game besides the national championship you can play in. And so I met the staff and I got a chance to just tell them like, look, I appreciate what you've done. You guys have won. You've had success. I don't know you. Um, I'll try to, to get to know some of you, but um, this is who I am. And, I'm excited to be here. And when I walked back in my office, I mean, you're sitting there like, I didn't even know what I said. And it probably wasn't the right thing to say because I wasn't prepared for that. And I don't think anybody is. And I'm looking out my window and then Eli Drinkwitz is right there next to me in my face. And I'm like, who are you? And he's like, Eli Drinkwitz. And he's like, I'd, I'd like to be here. And he was the first guy I interviewed from that staff. Um, told me about what they had run there, what they were doing, you know, what their offense was. And uh, the rest is history. You know, I hired him, hired Bush Hamden. I was the play caller, but I used a lot of things. <clears throat> so we went from being a huddle team to a no huddle team at Arkansas State because mm -hmm. of what Gus had done and they had success. So we blended this Boise State and this Gus Malzahn offense um, and made it no huddle and a little bit more towards Boise, but made the terminology that way, but we made it no huddle. And so I called plays for the first five ga four games and being the head coach and the play caller, it was too much. Mm -hmm. I was, I was ineffective because I was always being pulled away. And this is the thing that's really hard. You know, when you see head coaches who are play callers, it's not that they can't do it. It's that the staff has to sit around and wait for them after they get done with all their other duties to then show up and come in there when the staff's been working on things. And then, you know, you might blow it up. You might have a different idea or they're just waiting on you period for you to come in there and, and decide on certain plays. So yeah, yeah. Um, I was not, was not helping the staff certainly wasn't helping our team. And I turned it over to, uh, to Bush Hamden and Eli Drinkwitz. Um, Eli called the plays and it was the best choice and decision I'd made. Because those guys, they owned it. They cared more about their job than I did. And they made our team better. And we started winning football games. And when I got the Boise job, they finished it out. So we won a championship. We won a bowl game. That was our goal. And then uh, those guys came with me to Boise State. And, you know, we were off and running there. So was it the same setup then with both of those guys at Boise when you came back as the head coach? Were they still kind of in charge of play calling and you, you kind of took the CEO responsibilities? No. So Mike Sanford was our offensive coordinator when I took okay. the head job at Boise State. I tried to hire Mike when I became the head coach at Arkansas State. Mike was at gotcha. Stanford. Yeah. And Mike's like, I'm not leaving Stanford. <laughs> and, I don't, enough. and I don't blame him, right? You know, Mike's, Mike's a Boise State guy, right? Played quarterback there. And, you know, I didn't blame him. And that's the other thing too, right? You think as a head coach, you have your list of staff that you think you're going to hire. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. Yeah. Your first and second guy, you could be to your fifth and sixth, you know, because hey, it could be money, could be jobs, could be just their life, right? Like sometimes like, I just can't move. My family loves it here. 
And, yeah. and there's just the real factors that coaches go through. So I ended up hiring Mike Sanford and I ended up hiring Marcel Yates as my defensive coordinator. And both those guys were, were Boise state guys. Um, and so I helped Mike and Eli was there. Bush was, um, Bush was not there at that time. Um, Junior Adams became the wide receiver coach who's now at Oregon. And, you know, that's where they put together the offense in 2014, which was, again, very similar to what we did at Arkansas State. It probably leaned a little more heavily towards maybe older Boise State. We were no huddle, so we weren't huddle. We were no huddle. But we had a little bit of that Stanford fullback, two tight ends, smash mouth, old Boise State, along with spread like we had done at Arkansas State and Eli had brought. And we blended that and, you know, we had a great year. Went and won a Fiesta Bowl and Grant Hedrick and that team um, were exceptional. And Jay Ajayi, the tailback, I mean, he was a phenomenal player for us. So, um, yeah, we're we're talking about all these things, play calling and all that. I mean, we had dudes. (laughs) Yeah, he got out of the guys. Like, like, look, our, our Fiesta Bowl team in 2007, we had freaking dudes. And a lot of those guys went on to play in the NFL. So, uh, as much as, you know, we're talking about these things coaching wise, those players, um, they made it happen and they, they worked their tails off and studied and prepared. And, you know, that, that's one thing just with players now, uh, the film study, you know, I, I was around one guy, but you know, not all these guys studied film. Kellen did and all that. Austin Pettis was a guy, wide receiver that played for us. That guy knew everything we were doing, mm-hmm. um, studied, conceptually understood what we were doing offensively and, you know, was one of the most competitive people I've ever been around in my life. So, you know, that kind of preparation, when you have players that do that, whatever you're doing and they're that prepared and they're that confident and they love doing the work that much before they actually play, um, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat now to go out there and, and, and play different styles of offense. But when you got players that do that, changes everything. Um, and we had that. We had it, um, you know, a lot of those years. And, and I think that's why we had success. No doubt. No doubt. Well, you've been more than uh, generous with your time, Coach Harson. We really appreciate it. And I guess the last question I wanted to ask you before we before we sign off and uh, and head our separate ways is, uh, how does it feel as a coach, you know, being this far into as a coach now and seeing some of the guys that you coached now have success on the sidelines, guys like Kellen Moore with the Chargers now and seeing what he's doing on offense? You know, we've we followed along pretty closely. What's that like for you as a coach? Kind of you're starting to see your legacy play out in real time a little bit. How what, What's that feel like? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Well, I'm excited for him. And I, and the reason is because, you know, I got a chance to, to not just work with phenomenal coaches, but phenomenal players as well. And one of the things in our program at Boise that Dan and Chris did, I mean, the stuff we talked about transcends football. It is so far beyond the game. And it was really about promoting the individual and, and the growth and possibilities of those individuals in our program of what they could do yeah all right we did it through the game of football right but then when you go on like all these things we talk about it's going to carry over into your lives of and everybody says this right husband father all those things like that like there's something about saying it and there's something about meaning it yeah and so when i see these guys now and they're not all coaches when i see these guys and i've had time to meet with some of them and their husbands, fathers, they're they're doing great things in their career. Some were coaching, like Kellen, and watching those guys on the sideline. I'm not surprised, and I'm proud that they're living out their dreams and they're chasing those things and going after it. And, and, and let's use Kellen as the example. I mean, he <clears throat> he's the winningest college quarterback in history, right? And now he had his chance to go play in the league. And, and look, at the end of the day. You know, we weren't even sure, right? He, he threw for a bunch of yards in high school, and Justin Wilcox stood on the table for this guy. Like every coach in the or every coach in that area is saying, "This is the guy." 
And we took him, and the rest is history, right, as a player. And he did things you can't coach. And now to watch him go on and to, to be a coach, um, I'm, I'm excited for him. But the kind of father he is, the husband that mm-hmm. he is, um, the way he treats his players, the way he communicates to his players, um, his vibe, like, I mean, you know, I – you want to work for that guy, right? You want to play for that guy. No you want to you want to be a part of um, you know a staff that has that has guys like that on it. So um, I'm excited for him and you know what he's going to continue to do. Uh, I'm excited for guys that are playing in the NFL right now. I've had a chance to coach uh, not just at Boise State, at Arkansas State, at Auburn, all those guys. I mean, we're you were talking about Boise State. I mean, all those players you have a chance to to touch their lives and be a part of it. I mean, I'm, I'm happy for all of them and no every coach I've ever yeah. worked with to see these guys go on and succeed and to have their opportunities. Um, because I was in their shoes, especially these young coaches. Uh, I've been there. I had coaches believe in me that weren't trying to hold me back from being in their position someday. And, you know, I hope that, you know, coaches on our staff have felt that way too, to develop themselves, to go on and be coordinators, to be head coaches and, and to have those opportunities. So uh, I'm going to keep following them. Uh, I got more time right now to, to do that and I'm enjoying it. So uh, just cheering those guys on and, and uh, you know, just grateful to have a chance to, to have been a part of their lives and, and uh, you know, for them to have impacted me as well. So um yeah, I really do appreciate the question and, and what those guys are doing. No doubt, man. Well, we we appreciate you taking the time to s- spend a little time with us and share some of your wisdom along the way. We're always we're always trying to learn, and uh, we talk about offensive play callers, but it goes beyond that. It goes, you know, to the things you were talking about: being good husbands, being good fathers. Um, you know, we had to get our kids down to bed to to have this conversation. So uh, <laughs> we're grateful that you were able to push yeah. late and and make it happen. So. Now we appreciate all that, and and last last but not least, you you had a conversation with me before the season started that was really impactful for me personally. I just wanted to share this real quick: is we we had talked a little bit about the importance of taking care of your physical health as a football coach, and that's something you're really passionate about. Something you've invested a lot in over the course of your career is taking care of yourself so that you can take care of your family, and uh, and it inspired me and Jake. Uh, particularly and so we we actually signed up for the houston half marathon um that we're gonna run yeah. during our oh, bye week no, baby <laughs> so i'm hoping i don't die but uh no it was impactful and and definitely encouraged me to like you know i think sometimes as a coach you're like ah i'll i'll worry about working out after the season but that conversation really had an impact on me and said you know what i'm not gonna wait till the end of the season i'm gonna i'm gonna sign up for this thing now and uh i'm gonna take care of myself and uh uh, so I wanted to thank you for that because uh, that conversation definitely definitely meant a lot to me. Well, remember this as you're thanking me when you're running that half marathon. <laughs> All right, <laughs> so yeah, might be cutting me Ooh, during that time. Yeah, but it might. Hopefully, we're not walking. Hey, look, you know what? Here's one thing. All right, you're calling plays, right? You guys are coaching ball. You're competing too. You're competing too, and and I I think for you and. The amount of time you spend, all right, doing what you do, you got to take care of yourself. You know, you still have to be fresh and ready yeah, to go on yeah. game day. You still have to think, and um, you know, and there's a lot of time that you spend doing what you do, and for those players, and their sacrifices made, um, and your family makes sacrifices, but your health is important, right? That's that's a key to to your your life, and and I think ultimately your success, and and those that you love too. So. There's no better environment though than than being around a bunch of guys that are that are striving for excellence, and you know as coaches, I mean that that's the greatest environment you can be in, and so you know taking care of yourself and trying to be the very best you can be in all different facets, um, that's what football really is, and that's I think no why doubt. being a part of a team is so special, because you know you get a chance to do that and you get a chance to watch these elite athletes. And they're doing it every day and laying it on the line. You know, we can do yep. some of that stuff too as coaches, um, just not yeah. as well as them. Thank God. <laughs> of course not. All right, because um, <laughs> they're way better. But um, yeah, I appreciate that, and and uh, I do mean it. And and good luck with the marathon, Rashad. Yeah, you're gonna cool. you're gonna join in on that as well. 
We tried. Hey, we got him on the next yeah, one. Getting, he's in on. Yeah, I'm getting, he's, I'm getting peer pressured. I, I need to. I need to get on it. Yeah, <laughs> yep. that happen. We'll, we'll, we'll let this let this be right here. The motivation that you needed oh, to go. join. All let's right, go Rashad. <laughs> let's go Rashad. Getting locked in. Love it. Awesome. Well, Coach Harson, we appreciate you. Yeah. Tell Davis good luck the rest of the way. We'll be rooting for uh, for Eagle as well, and uh, appreciate all your time and uh, and look forward to catching up again soon. Appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Victory is a great play call.